Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. It's just easier to preach with the piano going on. You know what I'm saying? When you got a minstrel, when you got, it's just, it's almost like you wish the whole praise and worship team could just stay up there the whole time because there's such an anointing, there's such a saturation that gets our hearts prepared and our minds receptive to what the Lord wants to do. Don't ever, don't ever discount, and none of this is part of my message this morning, but don't ever discount the power of coming together and worshiping together. Don't ever discount the power of something as simple as this. You stand here, and then you move to here, and everybody moves together. Don't ever underestimate the power of that, because there's something that happens in the Spirit when that happens. There's something that transpires in you and in me that you can't get nowhere else but right there. Don't ever take that for granted. Don't ever come in here. Endeavor. I know we all got stuff that we go through during the week, and, and I know we wake up on Sunday mornings, and sometimes we wish, I mean, sometimes I wish I could just be like, oh, Lord Jesus, can I call? Let me call uh, Langston. I'll just say, Langston, you got it this morning. So there are times when we are like that. But this is, this is one time a week we come together like this and we gather together. Don't ever take that for granted. Don't ever take that for granted. Because it's powerful. You know, when in, the, in Acts, when they begin to sing praises to God, after they had been thrown, Paul and Silas had been thrown in jail and they had gotten out and they'd come back and they'd reported all that had been done to him, and they all gathered together in church, and they all lifted up their hands with one voice, and they say, Lord, you are the great God. They begin to just start out by acknowledging God. They say, Lord, you are the great God. You are the holy God. You are the ones that created the heavens and the earth. <coughs> and they begin to just praise the Lord. And in the middle of their praising, and they said this, they only said one thing. They said, and Lord, behold their threatenings. And grant unto thy servant that with all boldness we may preach thy word. By stretching forth thy hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be wrought in the name of thy holy child, Jesus. And after they, began to, after they got done praying, the place where they had been praying shook. I do believe that the church is going through transition. I believe that the things that we're seeing in the lives of people are opening us up to a greater level of anointing and greater things that, that are coming in the days ahead. But it comes when we come together and we join together in unity. There's not, there's not anything wrong with Sunday mornings. It's, it's all the other stuff that we've got to mix in together. God designed this thing so that we would flow together, so that we would flow together, so that we would be in unity together and take his word and be a demonstration to that out there. This has its place, and it is good, and it is acceptable, and the Lord is pleased when we come together and do this. But this is for a purpose. And the purpose is to juice you and I up and get us so pumped up that when we go out there, we're just literally glowing because we've come together and we only do this once a week. Don't ever take that for granted. Please, I'm asking you. Some of the most powerful times is when the church has been so persecuted and such pressure has been upon it that they come together in unity and they cry out and they, they, they set their face to God and God begins to reveal, we're there. The things that we face as a country are things that we've never faced before. The things that we face on the global stage are things that we've never faced before. We've never faced an enemy that we didn't know who and what to kill to get rid of it. We've never faced an enemy so bent and with such hatred towards us as the children of God, but the children of Israel have. In these last days, these will be, there will be wars and rumors of wars. There will be greater things <coughs> on the world stage like never before. But who is our protector? Who is our guard? Who is our shield? Those are the things that we need to gather together and remind each other of. The Lord's got us. And as we walk in line with his word and we set ourselves in unity together towards his purpose and towards his destiny, there's no, there's, there is nothing. Jesus said, there is, he said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell itself will not prevail.
Amen. First Peter chapter 3. No, First Peter chapter 2. This has been our text. I'm, I'm going to do my best to try to wrap this up today, but I got some things on my heart and, and some things I believe the Lord wants to see, wants us to see. First Peter chapter 2, we've been talking about the priesthood of the believer. If there's one thing, if there's one thing that I see that, that, the, that the, the church needs a, 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 a rebuilding, a, 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 restore, a restoration, if there's one thing in the church that needs a restoration process, it's in the priesthood of the believer. Because the enemy knows if he can take the power away from you and keep you seated in that seat right there, you'll never do anything for the kingdom of God. And that is so far from what God has destined all of us to do. He has set in order, he has set in place for you and for you and for me to go and to be and to do all that God has for us. But the enemy does not want us to do that. So he keeps us down and in a seated position with lies and deception and guilt and shame. And he took all that for us so that we wouldn't have to. Why? For, so we could walk around guilt-free and just... Come to church and dance and shout and have a good time. That's part of it. The other part is so that we could take that message and we could begin to walk out the authority and what God's called us to do. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, But you are a chosen people. Everybody say chosen. I'm chosen. You believe that? About half of you said it. Say it again. I'm chosen. He chose me. A royal priesthood. Everybody say, I'm royalty. Now see, if you didn't say that, it's one of two reasons. Either you're being rebellious or you don't believe it. Well, the solution for both of those is to say it. Because the, the very nature of rebellion is to do something you don't want to do. And so how do you, what, what do you do to overcome rebelliousness? You do what you're told to do. You do what you're supposed to do. I'm just telling you what the Lord says. Everybody say, I'm royalty. I'm royal. A holy nation. I'm holy. A people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's been our text. And we've talked about what it means to be chosen, what it means to be royalty, what it means to be a priest. What does that mean? That, 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 our, that our goal, that God, God has for himself a peculiar people. Remember we talked about the peculiarity. Not that you're peculiar, but that the manner in which God demonstrated his love to the world and to creation, how much he loved us, it was the very peculiar thing. He chose to give his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish. That was a peculiar thing. Creation, the angels didn't understand it. They say, what is man? That you are mindful of him. And it's almost like the Lord looks at the angels and says, I don't have to justify myself to you. What is man? What is man that you are mindful of him? And, you, and the Lord says, they're my children. How many of you have children? Is there anything that that child could ever do that would cause you not to love them? I mean, they may come close. <laughs> I'm not saying that it's not challenging, but is there literally anything that they could do that could ever cause, separate the love that you have for them. Now they can separate themselves from your love. They can withdraw. They can go away. But that does ever change the way you feel about Ryan and Will and, and Haley and even Faith. Does it ever change that? No. Why? Because there's love. Do you think for one minute that there's anything you could do that would ever separate his love for you? Nothing. There's nothing you can do. I mean, if, he was, if there was anything that you could have done, it would have been all the stuff that you did do or that you're going to do. But he said that God demonstrates his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. For God so loved the world that he gave. The highest expression and form of love is giving when you don't deserve it. Thank you, Lord. I never saw that before. The highest expression form of love, okay, we've always said the highest expression of love is what? Giving. You say you love me? You say you care for me? 
Then prove it. How do you prove your love? You, you, you give. For God so loved the world that he gave, right? But I just saw this for the first time. No, the highest expression of love is giving love to somebody who doesn't deserve it. <laughs> we didn't deserve it. But he demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners. So we're a priesthood. We're royalty. We're God's chosen people. Not chosen just to be special, but chosen for a specific purpose. Chosen for a destiny, a word, a call that, is, that God has mandated on us. And so in thinking about this, I thought, what are some characteristics of chosen royal priests. What are some characteristics? Numbers chapter 7. I'm going to say numbers. Numbers chapter 7. This is when the temple was done. I'm going to read it in the NIV. This is the dedication of the tabernacle. And so when Moses finished setting up the tabernacle, he anointed it and consecrated it and all its furnishings. He also anointed and consecrated the altar and all its utensils. And then the leaders of Israel, <coughs> excuse me, the heads of families who were the tribal leaders in charge of those who were counted made offerings. They brought as their gifts before the Lord six covered carts and 12 oxen and ox from each leader and a cart from every two, these they presented before the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, Accept these from them, that they may be used in the work at the tent of meeting. Give them to the Levites as each man's work requires. And so he goes on and he de describes who it was that gave them. And all these guys, all these people that gave were priests and kings. They were leaders. And what's ironic is no one told them to do this. This was a precedent-setting event. No one had to, the temple had been instructed, the temple, the tabernacle had been built to house the Holy of Holies, the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. And so they began to, they began to come, and, and no one told them to do this. And they began to do it. And they began to bring their gifts. One of the things that I realized that one of the first characteristics that I noticed about kings and priests how many of you believe you're, come on now, stay with me, 1 Peter chapter 2, we're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. One of the first characteristics I saw was that they're generous. I heard somebody say the other day, he said, you know, if you're going to be stingy with anybody, don't be stingy with God. I thought, you know, this, the world, the way the world thinks, I mean, um, sometimes the things that go on on church grounds, I mean, you would think that that people would have enough sense, would have enough common sense to, to not rob God or to not rob things from the church. But people do it all the time. You know, if you're going to rob somebody, don't, don't come to a church and rob. I mean, you know, Ananias and Sapphira, you remember in the book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira. Everybody say New Testament. New Testament. Everybody say after the blood of Jesus. They came and they, they, they just begin to sell, everybody begin to sell everything they had to, to meet the needs of, of many people. And Ananias and Sapphira plotted in their heart. Everybody say the heart. See? It's right there. And it says that they plotted in their heart. And they came and they brought their offering to the Lord. And Peter, by the unction of the Holy Spirit, says, Is this all that you sold it for? And he said, Mm-hmm. And he said, Why have you listened to Satan? And he has lied to you. And you have, he has deceived you, and you have bought into it. But don't worry, there ain't nothing else going to happen to you. This is my translation. And the Bible says that he dropped dead. Everybody say, after Jesus, New Testament. So did God punish him? Did God, the wrath of God came down upon him? No, when you lie, he said, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. It was your money, it was your stuff. You didn't have to give it all. You could have just said, no, I say I kept some of it, but I'm going to give this amount. Nobody told you what to do. Nobody made you do it, but you lied to the Holy Spirit. Listen, 
you and I, we've lost, our culture has lost an honor and a respect. Uh, Casey and I were talking about the fear of the Lord. It says, after that, then his wife came, not knowing what happened, and he asked the same question, and she said, uh-huh. And he said, your husband was here, and he died right there where you're standing, and you fixing to join him. Boom, she was gone. And the Bible says, everybody say the Bible, that great fear came upon them. What kind of fear are we talking about? That word fear is not the scared I'm fearful of you. There was a reverential fear. We've lost that reverential fear. When it's almost like when Jesus was dying on the cross, taking the sentence of man, taking the penance of sin, it was almost like you could see God's heart and the cloud turned, I mean, the, the, the whole sky turned dark when he died. And lightning, I mean, it was just, it was the most, probably the most amazing thing. It's like I would imagine there was great fear that came upon them then too. Don't, let us not lose that reverential fear of the Lord. He's not out to get us. He's not out to punish us. But when you make a decision, and then you make another decision, and then you make another decision, and because of our rebelliousness or because of their rebelliousness, they continue to keep doing what God told them not to do. Eventually, you will run out of that grace, that mercy. In other words, His mercy and His grace is everlasting. He's extended it to all generations. But you and I, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that what? Whosoever shall... You and I have a choice. We still have to receive that gift. And if you and I don't receive that gift and we live our lives constantly rejecting that gift and constantly rejecting that gift and constantly rejecting that gift and then we die, that's not God. It's us. <clears throat> they were generous. The, the thought never crossed their mind. All right, look, let me see. Get my calculator out. Let's see, 97%, 10%. And let's round that. They didn't do that. See, I done took, we done took up the offering, so you can't say I'm doing this to try to get. What I'm trying to get you to see is that their generosity was extended beyond what was expected. Kings and priests are generous. They're generous with people. They were generous with each other. They were a gen they are generous people. They are givers. People say, I don't have the gift of giving. There is a gift of giving, but we're all called to give. We're all called to be generous. I read one commentator, he said, they were not stingy, but exhibited a beautiful example to all <clears throat> who are great in dignity and in wealth. To be foremost in contributing to the support and in promoting the interest of the kingdom and its ministries. We read, uh, we, we quoted it a while ago when we were taking up the offering. Deuteronomy, God said, it is me, it is I that gives you the power to get wealth. For what purpose? For what purpose, Casey? To establish his kingdom. They weren't stingy. Be wary, <clears throat> be weary, <clears throat> be leery of stinginess. And of course, the enemy doesn't want you to give. I would let me let me say it to you this way. I, I've seen people that said, Well, you have to be obedient when you give. And I've seen people that would just give whatever at the drop of a hat without any unction, without any leading. Okay, both are in error. Both, we don't do anything apart from the Holy Spirit. They're both in error, or they're both wrong. But boy, I'm going to tell you what, if you're going to err on one side or the other, you need to err on the side of, if there's any amount of stinginess. I'm talking about with anybody, with any person, you better err on that side. Because that's easy to fix. See, that's, not a, that's, a condition of, that's a condition of you just not knowing, you just not being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. This other one is a condition of the heart. Strive to be givers. 
It was so, that Moses didn't even know what to do. And the Lord said, take it so that my kingdom, my purposes, my strategies may be fulfilled for this purpose, for this place. The second thing that I notice about characteristics of priesthood and royal people is they don't find fault with everything. But they're gracious and merciful and long-suffering. Matthew chapter 7. This is one of those messages that, boy, you just, you, you don't want to jump up and shout, but it's so needed to express what it is that's going on. Let me tell you something about the church that I've noticed, especially in the amount of time that I have been serving the Lord in my life. and I've seen a number of things that degrade the church. Matthew chapter 7, while you're turning there. I've seen a number of things. I've seen things that hurt the body of Christ. I've seen persecution in the body of Christ. But if there's one thing that I've seen that hurts the church more than anything, if there's one thing that I've seen that hurts the witness of the church to the world around us, if there's one thing that I've seen that has been the most, that has been the major stumbling block for us fulfilling the kingdom of God and the purposes, you want to know what it is? It's us. It's not the world. It's not even resources. It's not. It's us. And it's the mentality of judging one another. It's the mentality that the enemy comes. The Apostle Paul dealt with it more than any other issue in the Bible. In the New Testament, he dealt with it more than anything. Is that unity and that speaking kindly to one another and being generous and being gracious and being merciful to one another. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus dealt with it. Verse 1, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, you remember I talked about how whenever you read something <coughs> in the New Testament, the Old Testament, you always have to judge it in line with, is this before Jesus or after Jesus? In other words, had Jesus' blood been shed and the Holy Spirit came and we are transcending and we have transcended into the new covenant, okay? In this particular verse, that hadn't happened yet. But Jesus is talking about a principle. The principle is still the same. Now the effects of that principle according to the old covenant have changed because we're in a new covenant. We're on a better covenant based upon better promises. Somebody say amen. When he said, it is I that gives you wealth to establish the kingdom of God, the power to get it. That was old covenant. Hebrews says we've got a better covenant. So Jesus said in the Old Covenant, <clears throat> what did he say? He said, do not judge or you too will be judged. Why do we judge? Why do we judge in the first place? I'm going to camp right here. This is where I'm going to stay right here the rest of the time. Why do we judge one another? Because it is the nature of the flesh. It is the nature of sin to judge. God, I mean, uh, Satan himself judged <clears throat> jealousy and said, I will be like him and made a judgment. And as a result, he was cast down with the third of the angels. <clears throat> what is it that causes us to look at somebody and make a pronouncement of judgment upon them? Well, before you do that, you got to understand what judging is. You ready? <clears throat> The word judge in the New Testament, in the Greek, means to separate, it means to distinguish, it means to discriminate between good and evil, it means to select, it means to choose out the good. In the New Testament it means to form or give an opinion after separating the, 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 and considering the particulars of a case. In other words... When you and I put ourselves in a position to judge a situation or to judge another person, we place ourselves in a position of authority. Who places ourselves? We do. 
We place ourselves in a position of authority. When we look at that individual or we look at that situation or we look at that circumstance and we weigh according to what we see and we make a judgment upon that. And Jesus said, don't do that. Now, some, sometimes people, when you start talking about this, they say, well, what about, what about speaking the truth in love, brother? I'm going I'm to get there. But what I'm trying to get at is this right here. I'm trying to get at the heart. I don't want to judge anybody. Number one, I'm not the judge. I'm not God. I'm just the child of God. So I'm just here to do what he says to do and to preach what he says to preach and to live the way he says to live and to govern and to do what he says. So there is a governmental order. There are things that we have to rightly divide and we have to speak truth in. I'm going to get to that in a minute. What I'm talking about is the heart behind the world always passing judgment. I mean, my gosh, Michael Phelps is 31 years old and the brother can't even get in the pool without the little moderators judging him for his age. And he done smoked everybody again. We can't do it. We can't stand it. The world has to look at a situation and make a judgment. Why? Because it's pride. Pride always looks at a situation and goes, well, if I was them, I wouldn't do that. Or if I was that situation, I wouldn't handle it like that. I remember one of the best pieces of advice I've ever gleaned from my, one of my fathers in the faith, Dad Hagen. He said this. He said, don't judge somebody else because you don't know what you would do if you were in their shoes and you might not do as good as they're doing in their shoes. But yet we do, we do it all the time. Why? Because the enemy knows if he can tear us down in, in between each other, if he can get us to causing animosity between each other, then we'll never do anything for the kingdom of God because we'll be too busy fighting each other. To judge in one's own mind as to what is right, proper, expedient, to deem, decide, determine, to sit in judgment in a judicial sense. When you and I judge, we, we choose to put ourselves in a place of oversight and we say, I know I'm going to look at that situation and I'm going to make a call on it. There's a difference between sharing the truth and love. There's a difference between God's governmental order that he has set in place God's governmental order, your ability to speak truth into somebody's life. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You should never pass judgment on somebody. Never. Why? Because we're not the judge. And the judgment's already been taken care of. I was like, Lord, <clears throat> I've had this for three weeks now. I've had all this in my notes. And I'm like, well, Lord, we'll share about the other stuff first. And the Lord finally said, all right, you've shared all that now. I want you to share about the characteristics. What is it that separates us from the world? How is it that the world is going to look at us and say, I want what you got? It's when we walk in this life and we don't judge people. Listen, you... <clears throat> I have to be careful because I just remembered that all the kids are in here. You don't look at someone's lifestyle and make a judgment because you don't know what they've been through. Come on, now don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know what's happened in their life. You don't know what's happened to them as a child. You cannot judge it. Well, what about speaking the truth? I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is the judgmental nature of Satan, the judgmental nature of the heart. Where you look at that person and you say, I can't believe you do that. That's judging. God looks at them and says, I love you in spite of you doing that. And because I love you, I want to talk to you. Well, I don't want to talk to you. That's okay. I'm here. We watched a movie, a great movie. It was called, what was the movie called? Miracle. What was the movie called? Miracles from Heaven. Y'all said that at the same time. Jinx, double jinx. Miracles from Heaven. And in this movie, it's about a little girl who got diagnosed with a very rare disorder where her uh, lower part of her digestive tract would, was, almost, was just paralyzed. 
In other words, her stomach was full of food, but it would just sit there and it wouldn't digest and it made her very sick and they couldn't figure out what... Well, finally they figured out what it was and they took her to a specialist and this specialist did everything he could to try to... I'm, I'm summing all this up. And at the end of this... At the end of this thing, they've done all they could do, and he said, the best thing to you is just spend time with her. Spend every day you can with her. So they went home, and they spent every day, and she, she used to climb trees. Well, anyway, she goes in, and she climbs this tree. I'm fixing to give you, you know, what's that thing where they give you the ending? Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. So anyway, this young lady, she's going up this tree, and they're playing, and she, there's, it's a tree that's been rotted out, but they didn't know that. And this, there's this big old knot where a big old part of the tree trunk would come out and it cut off. And it, was, it looked like it was solid. And, and the tree began, to, one of the branches began to break. And she moves over to this knot and she pushes on it and she falls head first three stories down to the bottom of this tree. And they had to get the fire department, the police, and everybody's out there. She was unresponsive. Anyway, they get her. She comes back to life. And all of a sudden, her symptoms begin to change. She's playing, and she had this, this bloated stomach that looked, and every day the stomach would go down. And then one day her mom goes, where's your stomach? And she said, she said, it's gone. He told me I would be better. And she said, who, what are you talking about? And so they go outside, the mom and dad, and they sit down with her, and they said, sweetheart, what are you talking about? She said, well, there's something that's happened that I didn't tell you about. And so she says, I, when, I, when I fell down the tree, she said, it was the weirdest thing. I left my body, and I was sitting right next to my body, and I looked at it. And she said, that, she said but the butterfly, and I saw the butterfly. And they said, what butterfly? And she said, this butterfly, and she chased this butterfly, and they described all this stuff, and they showed it in the movie. And she just running through these, um, you know, the, the flowers. and the, I mean, it's just a beautiful place. And all of a sudden, now she's, she's standing on top of the clouds and the heavens open up. And she said it was the weirdest thing. She said, I was having a conversation with God, but I didn't have to say anything. I was like, oh, glory to God. That a preacher out there. She was like, and the Lord told me, she said, God told me that even though she said, I know you want to stay, but it's not, you need to go back. And he said, but when you go back, you'll be healed. And so she told this story, and her mom goes, sweetheart, she said, you know, this is what I'm getting to. She said, you know that people are not going to understand what you said. And the little girl, without even blinking in my eye, she goes, I know, mama. She said, but that's okay. She said, they'll get there when they get there. Why do we pass judgment? People may not know what it is, what it means to tithe. They may not know what it means to, to live a life free from sin. They may not understand that. But the only person that's got a problem with it is you and me. God ain't got no problem with it. You think for one second that a person's lifestyle bothers God? Like he's like, whoa, I don't know what to do about that. They took prayer out of school. Angels, come here. You think he is bothered? I, when I say bothered, I don't mean that it doesn't grieve his heart. I'm saying, do you think for one minute that he goes, I got this taken care of. There's a remnant of people. Why do we judge? Because we think in, in Old Testament terms, we still think law. I promise you, the only people that have a problem with some of the most despicable issues that we face in the church and in the world today are people, and it ain't God. Because he's already got the solution. Here's the thing. You and I already have the solution. We already have the answer, and the answer is within us. But nobody's going to listen to us if we're always judging people. That's why the church don't have a platform to speak on now. Why has the church lost its power and its influence in our governmental process? Because, number one, we're not, we're not influential because we've lost all the power. We don't have any power. We don't have any resources. We're not making any changes in society, but that's changing. Churches all across the world, all across this nation, are making significant inroads, and they're making significant changes in our society as a result of what God is doing. Those things are opening up. 
The political, listen, I'm telling you, I don't care who you, it, it really doesn't matter whether you're going to vote for him or her come November. I can promise you this, all the professional politicians are sitting around going, huh? Because people are tired. They're tired of all that mess. And so you get a man that stands up and begins to say things that people don't, that's not what they normally, that's not what they say every four years. America's great. America's going to be great again. And if you'll vote for me, I'll lead you into greatness. No, he gets up there and says, it's all gone to a handbasket. But he said, I promise you I'll do it. And he goes on and says, and then you got her, and she's standing, she's doing things that professional politicians have never thought about doing. I'm telling you, the tides have turned. Things are different. Now's the time for us as a church to regain our authority and our ability to speak into these processes. And I have the Lord say that he's going to... Uh, let me see if I can articulate it. It's, the, Lord said, the Lord's saying this. I'm going to prove out my power and my people's authority to this world. Watch and see. In other words, the world may make fun of Christians and they may make fun of church, but he's going to prove us out without us. What was it Cornell said? He said that, that the Lord will raise up a standard. Who will raise up a standard? Who's going to build the house? Who's going to raise up a standard? Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. See now, sometimes when, you, when you're talking about these kind of things, people start I'm just going to narrate a little bit. Can I do that? You all right with that? Well, I don't judge. I'm not judging. I'm just saying. No, you're judging. Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. I love, I love starting at verse 1. Accept him whose faith is weak. Boy, that right there, you could stay right there and preach that for months in the church. Accept him whose faith is weak. Why? Because the place where his faith is going to get stronger is right here. Without passing judgment on disputable matters. I mean, I don't even know if I need to say anything about that. What are disputable matters? Does it really matter? Are we going to cast judgment on something that really, it doesn't matter? Well, I just don't understand how somebody could drive something like that. Is that really, does, in the light of eternity, does that really matter? Well, I can't believe they dress like that. In the light of eternity, does that really matter? How do we pass judgment on, on disputable matters? We pass judgment and goes, well, I heard somebody say it this way. He said, the church is the only place that people come to and they look at the menu and if they don't like one thing on the menu, they leave. But you don't do that with a restaurant. How many of you like everything on every menu at every restaurant you eat at? Everything. You'll eat, just bring me anything. I like it all. No. Well, I don't like the flags. I don't like corned beef and hash. So I'm never going to eat at this restaurant ever again. Well, I don't like eggs over medium. I like them scrambled. I don't even like eggs. So I'm never going to eat at this restaurant again. That's what we do as a ch at church. No wonder we have no power. Or I shouldn't say that, Lord. Forgive me. No wonder our power has been limited. Because we chew each other up. We can't even get to the parking lot before we start passing judgment. The man who eats everything, okay, no, hang on, disputable matters. Verse 2, one man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Ooh, I better be careful on that one, shouldn't I? The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. 
Who are you to judge someone else's servant? I love it when the Lord says that. He has said that to me, I don't know how many times, where he has, I mean, just, you know, where the Lord just speak to you and just snatches a knot right in your attitude, you know what I'm talking about? Like give you a little spanking. And so, oh, I'm sorry, forgive me. We're, I didn't know you were God now. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. In other words, the Lord's saying, look, I don't need no help. I don't need help with conviction. I got that taken care of. It's called the power of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. You're going to leave here today and be like, man, you know, either one or two things. Either you're going to not like this, or you're going to, this is like eating vegetables. You either like it, but, but you eat it because you know you need it. You and I need to hear this word. Stop judging each other. Come on. I find myself allowing those thoughts to come in, and I have to snatch myself and go, well, who am I to judge that person? I'm not God. And let me say it this way. Beware of those who want to cast judgment against others. You want to know why people don't want to listen to the church? Because the church has predominantly been talking about other people. In other words, my grandmother used to say, Honey, now listen to me. If they're going to talk to you about somebody else, they're going to talk about you to somebody else. If they're going to come to you and start talking about her, and it makes you feel good because they're talking about her, or I'll use Jeremy. I can't believe Jeremy. And you're like, yeah, I know, me too. I can't believe that either. I saw him too. There's something in our nature, in our fleshly nature that likes that. Because our fleshly nature is still influenced heavily by the world and by Satan. It's not in our nature as a born-again Christian, but our flesh still has to have a tight leash on it. And so they come in. Do you know that it probably ain't five minutes later? Because you say something to them that they don't like, they're going to go over here and go, can you believe him? If they talk about somebody else to you, they're going to talk about you to somebody else. If they're going to pass judgment on you, if they're going to pass judgment on somebody else in front of you or to you, they're going to pass judgment on you to somebody else. Come on, don't shout me down. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? Why don't we write that on a, on a little sticky note and post that all over the house? I, by his stripes, I'm healed. That's good. Let me tell you something. The biggest breakthroughs in our life come as a result of us getting pride out of the way, getting ourselves out of the way, and allowing God to have his way in our life. You want to stop up the blessing of God in your life more than anything else? It's called pride. And pride says, I wouldn't do it that way. I don't think that's right. I wouldn't do that. First Peter, I mean, James says that God gives grace. He gives more grace to the humble, but he resists. It's the only place in Scripture I can find where he resists. He resists the proud. Lord, I don't want to be, I don't want to be prideful. Pride says, pride looks at somebody and goes, I can't believe you did that. You ought to watch that movie. There's a great examples of pride in that movie. This lady's come up to this girl. She's dealing with this daughter. She don't, has no idea. They pray. They don't even, and she goes, well, maybe it's time for you to start looking and asking yourself some tough questions, sweetheart. That your daughter's not healed yet, so that means you must have some sin in your life. I thought, man, I pity the fool. You remember that, Mr. T? Y'all don't remember that. Some of y'all don't remember that. Mr. T said, I pity the fool. I pity the person. Somebody says that to us sometimes. Judgment. Let me tell you something. Why is judgment so bad? Because the only person who could and had the authority to judge doesn't do it. He already did it. And you and I take ourselves out of a tremendous amount of grace and mercy when we begin to judge other people. Make a stand in your life that you're not going to... 
People don't come to me and talk about other people to me anymore. They used to years and years and years and years and years ago, but they don't do it no more. Every once in a while. Everybody say every once in a while. Every once in a while somebody come up to me and they start saying something. Passing judgment on somebody. Man, I hit the emergency brake just as quick as I can. Because you know, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm saying? You're sitting there and there's something going on in your spirit that you can't really identify. But you don't want to hurt nobody's feelings. You don't want to say anything. But there's all kind of just stuff. You don't know. Just hit the brakes. Hit the emergency brake. Get out of that car and say, get out. Right now. I'm not listening. I don't want. I don't want. I, Jesus said, if you show mercy, you will receive mercy. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want nothing to do with that. Nothing. Let me ask you this. When I, was, when I was riding here this morning, I was asking the Lord. I said, Lord, you're going to have to help me with something. And the Lord said, what is it? And I said, how can you articulate? How can you get this point across? And the Lord said this. Ask them this question. What benefit does it do for you to judge somebody? What's the benefit? What's the benefit of you judging somebody in front of other people? And then the Lord said, the Lord, this is what I hear the Lord saying just now. The Lord says, if I, of all people, had the right to judge, but I didn't, what can you do instead of judging somebody that's going to cause them to turn from what they're doing? Love. We, you, gotta, you and I have got to stop holding stuff against people. I know it's tough. I know, because I mean you, you got that you you've hurt me seven hundred and fifty nine and a half times. And the Lord says, just let me wipe that away and make it right. Listen, life is so much. Our home, okay, and I, I use our home just because it, I don't know necessarily what your home is, but we endeavor to maintain our house a house of peace. I can go into somebody's house and I can tell if there's strife going on. I can tell if there's judging going on. It's not a spiritual gift. All of you can do that. We've all been there. You may live in it. Life is so much better when we get this crap off of us. Jesus didn't judge. He rebuked. So let me deal with that real quick before we, before we close. So, Pastor, how should we, you know, how should we handle discipline? How should we handle calling things, you know, in people's lives that we know are not right? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You got a few more minutes because I don't want to leave without really touching this, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 5. How can we deal with... With these things. Verse 1. It is actually reported that there is uh, sexual immorality among you. And of kinds that does not occur even among pagans. Alright. So you scroll on down because I don't want to read all that. Verse 6. He says. For your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may have a new batch without yeast. As you really are. For Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore let us keep the festival not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. I have written you in my letter not to associate with this kind of person. Not at all meaning the people of the world who are immoral or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters. In that case you would, you would have to leave the world. But I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother but is in this kind of stuff. With such a man, do not even eat. Well, Lord, I just, I mean, gosh, pastor, that just seems kind of harsh. Well, let me ask you this. When a person gets to that place or the state in their life, who's responsible for that in their life? Himself. They made choices. They made decisions. Does the Bible say not to love that person? No. Does the Bible say that you are to stop praying for that person? What does it say? It says for the benefit of the good. See, 
because here's what's, here's what's happened. If you allow things, if we allow certain things in our house, both in our natural and spiritual house, if we allow certain things to happen without bringing correction or without bringing adjustment or in severe cases without rebuking them, what happens? A little levy, a little yeast affects the whole bunch. But the Bible addresses, the Bible says how to deal with those things. He says in Matthew 18, go to your brother. We've taught on this. I mean, there's no need to go, because, but it has to do with judgment, so that's the only reason. But if you get offended at someone, who should go to that person and tell them that you're offended? You. And then if you go and you don't feel like they heard you, then you take somebody with you. You don't explain the whole situation before you take that person with you. So if someone comes to you and says, well, you go with me, I got a problem with Inez and I need to talk to her about it, and it's blah, 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 blah. I'll go with you, but I'm not going to hear anything without hearing her side. No judge in the land would do that. I mean, they dismiss court cases if there's nobody to defend the defendant or the plaintiff. You can't have a judge. You can't sit in, in judgment over anything. And that's not our responsibility. It doesn't even say that you're witness. You're supposed to be a judge. You're just supposed to witness. Wow, because it, why is this judging thing such a big deal? Because it is a big deal. Because he knows that if he can get me and you against each other, or me and you against each other, or me and you arguing and fussing and fighting and affecting everybody, what kind of powerless uh, impact are we going to have on the king on the world? Everybody say, do not judge, lest you be judged. You believe in the principle of sowing and reaping, right? That's a principle that transcends old and new covenant. It is a principle. Whatsoever a man soweth, okay? If you sow judgment, what are you going to reap? But if you sow mercy, what are you going to reap? If you show compassion, what are you going to reap? First Corinthians chapter 5, Paul was dealing with the discipline of a brother. Discipline of an individual who knew better but was still making the wrong choices. Second Corinthians chapter 2 is another example. Let me tell you this, because I don't have time, because we need to close. Let me tell you this. I said, Lord, what, is, what does judgment produce? Judgment produces condemnation in the person that you're judging, and, and hurt, and offense, and it produces pride in our case. Let's say I'm the person judging Michelle. What does that produce in me? Okay, I judge Michelle because of whatever. And I make that judgment and I make that pronouncement. It causes me to look at her life and examine her life as if, as if I'm the foremost authority. What does that produce in me? All it does is puff me up even more. What does it do to her? It causes condemnation. Which is, listen, where does condemnation come from? Do you and I really want to be associated with the nature of Satan? So I said, well, Lord, how do I? I've asked this question, especially since I've been functioning in, in this capacity as a pastor. Lord, how do we deal with situations that we need to deal with? without passing judgment, but yet we speak the truth in love. And the Lord said, well, number one, you don't do it in front of everybody. That's the last resort. The Lord said, did I give you time to repent? You sure did. All right, then you give it the same courtesy. So we go to Michelle and we say, Michelle, what's going on with you? I'm not in front of everybody. The Lord didn't say for me to go to him and say, do you, do you know what's going on with Michelle? We need, to, we need to, brother, let's pray for Michelle. No, I'm casting judgment already. I don't have any idea what's going on with Michelle. What if Michelle is just tired? Yeah, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, I, I'll, be, can I, I'll be transparent with you, okay? 
there was a situation where I looked at this brother one time and I made a judgment on him for something he did. And him and I talked about it later. And he said, the reason I did that is because of X, Y, and Z. And I was like, dude, I got to ask you, forgive me. I was wrong. I looked at your situation and I made a judgment based off of, based off of perception. I didn't do it in front of everybody. I didn't say anything to anybody. I didn't call everybody and go, can you believe blah, 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 blah. I said, why? And he said, because. And I said, forgive me. I was wrong. We can't even do that in our society. We can't even, how hard is it to say, look, I'm, I was wrong. He gives more grace to the what? I was wrong. So we go, so we get back to Michelle. So we say, Michelle, and if, it, if, it, if, it's, if it's a woman, I'm not going to talk to Michelle without her husband being there, number one. Michelle, how you doing? One of two things is going to happen. Either she's going to lie to me or she's going to tell me what's going on. But either way, I know, I sense, I feel, whatever, and we get down to the bottom, and now we're working through it, and then she says, blam, and then she says, I'm blah, 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 and I'm doing this. What would Jesus do? WWJD. What would Jesus do? Extend compassion. Extend forgiveness. Let's pray. I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to walk you through this. And then she, she doesn't. And then she rebels. And then she keeps doing it. And so now it's gone to another level. So now I bring one of the elders in. Or I bring somebody in. And we go down and we sit with them both and say, look, I'm, no, I'm seeing these things. We love you. We, want you to, we want you to get right. We want you to change. What you're doing is not healthy. What you're doing is not beneficial. Nobody in the church knows what's going on with you. But I know because I've seen it by the Holy Spirit. And so we help her and help. And then she, then she refuses. And then she still keeps on doing what she's doing. And it's becoming detrimental to one of two things that's going to happen. Either she's going to stay in the church and keep doing it, or she's going to leave. If she stays, a little yeast levies the whole lump. So what do you got to do? You don't have no choice. You don't want Ananias and Sapphira. So what do you do? You stand up and you say, guys, we love Michelle, but she's blah, blah, blah. Most people, listen to me, most people respond to mercy and grace, and love, and compassion. Why do we judge? Why do we put ourselves in that place? I don't know, but it's not, it's not godly. It's not him. So, <clears throat> so I say all that to say, what's the purpose of correction? You ready? The purpose of discipline is repentance. To change your mind. Not punishment. Destruction of the flesh so that the spirit may be saved. The purpose of discipline, the purpose of speaking truth to somebody is so that their life would line up with the word of God. But you don't do that in front of everybody right off the bat. You don't walk around and talk about it. You don't put yourself in a judgment because you don't know what you would do. Well, I can't believe he does that. I can't believe he smokes. I can't believe he drinks. I can't believe he does this. You don't know what you would do in their situation and you might not do as good. There's no way I can relate. I can't relate to people to certain situations. I can't. I don't understand it. I just can't. But when I find myself getting up in a position of haughtiness to where I go, I can't believe you do that. I go, Lord, I, I'm, I might not do as good as they if I was in their shoes. So, Lord, help me. How do we help them? How do we help them? How do I help them? I don't always get it right. Certainly, I don't always. Listen, I got flesh. Everybody say, the pastor has flesh. I get fleshy too. Really? You going to come to me with that? I get fleshy too. I have flesh just like everybody else. I have to check myself before I wreck yourself. I have to do that. All of us have to. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. We all have to do that. But we're going to get a lot further if we have, if we don't judge. Don't look at a situation anymore and go, mm -mm -mm. 
I used to say, I used to say, you know, I said it the other day, and I know what I was trying to say, but the Lord, the Lord corrected me, and I said, you know, they ought to be ashamed of themselves. And the Holy Spirit said, what's that going to produce? <laughs> Lord, forgive me, you know. Well, you know, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Well, that ain't going to produce nothing. Shame produces condemnation. Or condemnation produces shame. Shame produces fear and doubt. You find somebody who is extremely shameful, they're willing to do whatever to make life go to the next level. You know what I'm saying without saying it? Shame doesn't produce anything. What overcomes shame? Dude, God loves you. You worried about me, Martha, 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 Martha. You worried about so many things, but only one thing is needful. Jesus is here, and you worried about spaghetti. I'm getting you ready for lunch. You know what I'm saying? I hadn't said fried chicken. I changed the menu, okay? Love. How many of you believe that you want to be more compassionate towards people? Come on, stand with me. You want to believe you, believe you want to be more compassionate towards people? I'm not going to pass judgment. Say that with me. I'm not going to pass judgment. I'm going to refuse to say, participate, or listen in casting judgment on somebody else. Where'd Aaron go? Michael, where'd Aaron go? Went to work? Okay. Titus, I'm going to close with this. Titus chapter 3, I like the ESV version. Listen to this. If you don't hear nothing else, just, listen, just let this resonate with you. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one. How many? Boy, that's tough. I'm just being honest with you. Because, you know, I mean, who doesn't like to talk about something like that? That's the nature of the flesh. But he said, speak evil of no one. You ready? That means rulers and presidents, male or female. Listen, you, you're not gonna, you and I aren't going to produce anything by trashing the president. All you're going to do is make yourself look like you're a judge and like you have all the answers in the world that you could possibly step into that Oval Office and deal with all the global matters that happen on any given day. Lord, bless that President Obama. Give him wisdom. And Lord, I'm going to go vote, but I'm going to pray for whoever's elected. <laughs> That's another Sunday. Please don't put your business on Facebook. It's like the Bible says it's better to be thought a fool than to, than, to, uh, than to basically open your mouth and remove all doubt. No, it says this. It says even the foolish man is thought to be wise when he keeps his mouth shut. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling. How do you avoid quarreling? How do you avoid a traffic accident? How do you avoid a, a weather storm? How do you avoid a pothole in the road? You go the other way. You don't see how close you can get to it. You go, What's going on? Why, why am I? No. To be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we, this is what I like, this is the best part, sums it all up. For we ourselves were once foolish disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness, somebody say, come on, God. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. 
not because of our works done but by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Don't you, don't, don't that just make you feel good? I mean, you know, nobody else may, but you and I know, you know what you used to do and how the mercy came to you. Don't we want to extend that same mercy to others? Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you. Lord, we thank you that we refuse. Come on, guys. We refuse to pass judgment. Come on, I feel like we need to make some de declarations this morning. We always declare in other stuff. I feel like we need to declare some of these things. Say this with me. Heavenly Father, come on now. Heavenly Father, I declare, I refuse to pass judgment on other people. I refuse to sit in a place and a position of judgment upon the world, upon my neighbors, upon my family, upon my brothers and sisters, in my church, upon my pastor, upon my pastor's wife, upon my elders, my elders' wives. I refuse to pass judgment against my pastor's children my elders' children, my believers' children. I refuse to live a life of judgment at all. I refuse, thank you, Langston, to pass judgment on my enemy. I will walk in love. I will speak the truth in love to those that I had the ability to speak truth to. And with regards to anything else, I determined in my heart to pray for all men that we may live a quiet and peaceable life and that the knowledge of the glory of God would be, paid, would be taken to all the ends of the earth and that all men would come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and Him as my Savior. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, go, be blessed, and show some mercy. Amen. Amen, amen.